Hello, stackers, and welcome back to another Creation Corner episode. I sure hope you're enjoying a beautiful and relaxing summer wherever you are. After a hot spell in the greater Washington, D.C. area, we are now finally enjoying a cool spell. And mm. that, of course, makes it easier to get outside and be active. So it's been fun to be able to get out and soak up some sun. Most certainly. And hear some bird song. I am here today with Thane. Hi. And as we add another episode in our ongoing Creation Corner series, we will be talking about some things. We've gotten some encouraging feedback on our Creation Corner episodes. And I, of course, podcasters are happy to hear when people like their content. So thank you for providing that, those of you who have. And we are happy to keep on going with them. And my personal hope is that, Stackers, you will continue to derive some sort of benefit from these, maybe influence your thoughts or the way you approach things. You know, yeah. as I said in the very first introductory episode, if you like it, use it. If you don't, forget about it. And give us your scorching, withering criticisms, particularly directed to dad. Yes. <laughs> For this week's content, I decided to revisit our ongoing series on country creation. The country creation corner. As we continue through our summer break, and this is a series, of course, that I began some time ago. If you'll recall, we're using the Wikipedia article on the country of Finland to help guide us as we add some dimension to the fantasy country of Trand in our stack of dice world. Again, we've paired Trand with Finland because it's similar in climate and culture to what Thane and I had in mind when we first defined it, so it makes for a pretty good match. As always, if you decide to build your countries using this method, you can be as faithful or as fanciful as you want in your approach. The end result is entirely up to you. This series has been fun and enlightening for me, and I've certainly come to appreciate the inspiration this mini-series has provided. As we followed the wiki article in this trek, we've looked at several categories to include history, geography, and politics, and then you joined me for that last one. Yeah. If you haven't caught these episodes yet, feel free to listen to them in any order. They're all prefixed with Creation Corner, Country Creation. After this entry, we'll have two more categories to address in this mini-series, and I hope you'll find them helpful in your own work. This time, however, we're going to spend time talking about economy. Like the last episode, this isn't an area where I excel, so I am perfectly comfy in sharing that I'll likely get some things wrong or do the greater subject a disservice if you find something lacking please contact me. And especially if you have some expertise in this area, let's set up a time. And I would love to arrange for a Zoom call that we could record and, you know, add an episode to this series featuring you, Stacker. I think that's all the prep stuff and I've gotten it out of the way. So I'm ready to dive in. Are you? Uh, as I'll ever be. I think a good starting point is to define the word economy. What is economy? According to the Oxford English Dictionary. Ooh. The word covers the administration of the concerns and resources of any community or establishment with a view to orderly conduct and productiveness, the art or science of such administration, management of money or of the finances, and it comes to us from the Greek words oikos, yeah. which means house, house, right? And namas, which means rule or manage. And so literally, the management of the household, or in this broader context of a region, or in our case, a country, armed with this knowledge, the subject to me becomes a little less daunting, especially since I was thinking it might be more 
detailed knowledge of monetary systems and market fluctuations. Those are, of course, undoubtedly parts of this Super larger subject, uh, but they aren't everything. This means talking about the economy of trend opens up several different ways we can discuss the subject. The wiki article discusses several distinct areas in this category. Energy, transport, industry, public policy, and tourism. So we'll address those individually, try and add some detail, and maybe some ways to work that into our country of trend. Mm -hmm. And we'll break our discussion down into those areas and go from there. So let's start with energy. Now, with energy, I think of where do you get your power sources from? Yeah. What, what is providing the power to run your country? I take that in terms of you know, the powering of machines and the like, which isn't going to be a super huge element in the current world setting, being more like a medieval-type society. So there's the powering of machines and the like, uh-huh. but there's also the powering of humans. So like in terms of food and, and sustenance so you know how do the people get their food um, okay so let's start with what are the primary power sources um, so in countries like ireland areas of england traditional sources included peat yeah where uh, you'd have workers who would go out and cut out huge chunks of peat and that would burn very cleanly uh, you have Charcoal. Yeah, I was going to say charcoal is a pretty major one. Right, uh, which is, I believe, made from condensed and burned wood. Mm-hmm. And then as it condenses further, it, it bur- has a longer burning capacity in life and, of course, mm-hmm. the heat that comes out. You have regular coal, Yeah, which would be mined. And we know that Trand does have a couple of mountains in it, which would be likely sources of yeah. different deposits of yeah. minerals. Mountain ranges, uh, which would have mountains, specific mountains in them that would presumably have loads and uh, veins and that sort of thing. So yeah, that would be a good one. Um, w- uh, fishing communities, like in England, used whale oil. Hmm. Now that would be more for light and maybe not necessarily power, but mm-hmm. uh, you know maybe you could have some sort of power source coming from the water and since trend is really a peninsula sticking up into that northern ocean area that could be a tempting way but there's also the old reliable wind uh-huh. uh, for mills and and the like okay um, yeah that's a great one there is of course the star stone which is an emergent resource in Vardalon, but that as far as we know hasn't really hit the public conscience consciousness the conscience yet um (laughs) Uh, well you know as the story is unfolding and progressing i'm okay with things starting to speed up yeah and that's kind of in keeping with technological advances anyway the players aren't going to be the only people who have stumbled across this by now absolutely and as word spreads and people are talking uh, and we're already starting to see some of the star stone spread mm-hmm. in the in the main story. So yeah, I think that's perfectly acceptable. And maybe it's time. Hopefully, maybe, maybe it's time for a little bit of an explosion. Perchance a renaissance, if you will. Countries like Iceland use a lot of geothermal. Mm-hmm. So with the volcanoes, they tap into that heat that's generated, and that helps to provide power to different things. Iceland is a little further north than the mainland of Finland. It's yeah, it's a tad bit north, but not extensively. And of course, it's on latitude <laughs> with 
some of the northern reaches of Finland. So, mm-hmm. you know, the volcanic activity could very much be there in those far north reaches of Tran. Mm-hmm. So we could have some geothermal stuff. That leads to some questions about government control then. So you've got all these vast resources, and we know from reading history that English kings liked to lock down certain parts of their domains, especially forests for hunting and that sort of thing. But yep. you know, in a country where cold is such a constant companion, you would think that a ruler would be careful of natural resources like fuel sources. Yeah. And so, you know, we could have the emperor of Trand having a keen eye on the amount and use and disposition of the various fuel resources at his disposal. Sounds reasonable. So what kinds of things would he do? Would he set up preserves and maybe even stockpiles? Almost definitely. Okay. And what about a, uh, almost like a storehouse system, kind of like when we're driving around here, Yeah, we're kind of north enough that we get some snow every few years. Occasionally. But far enough south that it's not too bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we see these salt silos alongside the road where... There's at least one that I know of. Where salt is stockpiled. And so, uh, you know, that way it's local to an area and you don't have to ship it in from elsewhere in case of an emergency. So yeah, that, that could be a way that they prepare fuel resources for use throughout the empire of Trand. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a neat one, neat idea. I hadn't really considered that going into this discussion. Yeah. Would he have a wind reservoir or something of the sort? A room to keep all the wind in? That's called the council chamber, right? Oh, I see. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the hot air. Yeah. Uh, so obviously you can't really control that, but you can control the output. And mm-hmm. so maybe windmills are taxable. Yep. Because they are used to to create things such as flour or maybe to run sawmills and that sort of thing. And so there's an imperial tax levied against the output from mills. Yeah. Which makes absolute sense. Which would be collected for royal use. Possibly. You know, that's, that's a good idea. Rather than taking a strict money tax, you're actually taking some of... You're you're skimming some of the actual product with such a with such a spread out region as Trend is, especially with the northern part that's more nomadic, tribal that that kind of stuff. Um, hard and fast money would be less less available up Very there, true. and more yeah. definite more resources. Okay, um, so that then leads me to wonder, especially with the wind thing. Now in our world here. A lot of wind farms are being built on the water, Mm -hmm. where there's actually turbines with these long shafts that go down into the seabed. And so you've got farms of wind turbines out there in the ocean. I don't know that we'd quite get to that point unless they build maybe artificial islands or something like that. That seems a bit that seems a bit too advanced for the current. So then, are they are are these primarily coastal or in elevated positions or maybe further north out in the more open plain? frozen tundra area where winds go whipping across, you know. I would assume maybe on like a border region between the cultivated south Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the wild northlands, there would be a strip of these, um, you know, millers, basically, that would be taking advantage of the whipping winds of the north, but they're still close enough to the south so that way resources and stuff like that can be easily transported back where they would be used for the construction of towns and the feeding of people, et cetera, et cetera. And there's also the possibility of government-owned mills. Yeah. 
where now the empire, the emperor has a vested interest in not only production, but also monitoring. And yeah. so the, you've got these, what amount to imperial outposts scattered throughout that Northern region where they're serving the dual purpose of creating stuff, whether it's again, cutting wood or I don't know, maybe crushing stone or something, you know, and then additionally, you could have like a small garrison there where they're out patrolling the, the immediate area, or it's a safe place for people to run to in case of trouble, whatever the case may be. Or they could also serve as distribution points in case of famine or disaster. So, you know, just another aspect of, again, this all ties back to the energy discussion, but I think it's kind of a neat idea. Yeah. So we've got energy fairly well down. I think so. And some direct applications to Trand. And now in my mind, I'm starting to see this once it was just a big, big blank white spot up there oh, at the yeah. north end of the map. Uh, now it's starting to get a little bit filled in. It's got windmills at least. Yeah. And, you know, we could be creative about how those windmills look. Are they, are they the vertical ones that we're used to seeing like in, in Holland? Yeah. Or are they maybe like a, a horizontal kind? That- yeah, I, th- I know what you're talking about where it's like the, the thing is just stuck at the top of the, of the building. It just kind of spins around yeah. on a vertical shaft. Right, yeah. So, I mean, we, we could be creative about how they appear. You have a trend in design for windmills that maybe works, outperforms regular designs. For chance. Yeah. Fun. So what about transportation? I think this one actually ties in well with energy because like we were talking about stockpiles, those are going to be mined or produced in certain places, but then they have to be moved to the new place Mm -hmm. and shifted around. And so you've got to have good infrastructure and you have to have the means of moving stuff. And so let's first talk about infrastructure because without that, you're not moving anything. Exactly. So in the South, I would expect... You know, especially in the in the more temperate regions, I would expect fairly good roads. Yep. And maybe do, not the best. Do we maybe consider them like the Roman roads or maybe a step I down from wouldn't that? put them that high. Okay. Probably like serviceable, but they're not going to hang around for a couple thousand years and still be used to this day. Yeah. Um, not those kind of roads. All right. So we're maybe looking more at maintained dirt roads. So maybe like metalled roads where you have, it's a dirt track, but then it's rolled periodically to keep it from getting rutted and nasty. And then uh, it's kind of like pre-Roman Britain where many of the roads at first, before the Romans came, actually followed ridgelines. So instead of cutting through and and cutting gaps, you know, the big engineering feats, uh, they actually took the course of least resistance, which you would expect with a small amount of tools and not a lot of experienced labor. Barbarians. And so you would have these roads that basically ran up hills or around hills or whatever, you know, taking the course of least resistance. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe we've got some of that going on in Southern Trend. Particularly in the north, I think, uh, it, wherever there are roads, most likely just in that little buffer zone of windmills, you've probably got those really just kind of almost like footpaths, um, but just a little bit expanded because there's carts, I assume, or maybe sleds. Sleds sound good, especially wintertime. That's a very, very, uh, that was a very prominent uh, form of transportation in 
uh, Finland, especially during this kind of time period mm-hmm. in the Kalevala, they only ever talk about two methods of transportation by ship or by sled. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. And of course, then you're not as concerned about roads necessarily. Mm-hmm. Now you're counting on snow. Right. <laughs> particularly up particularly up in the north, sleds would be a very common form of transportation. And maybe down the south, that's more influenced by Dunmorgan. Vontide, you would have wheeled carts and whatnot, especially mm-hmm. seeing as you would have definite roads. And it would be a lot more difficult to move. What about wagons? So again, looking at a, a distinct Trandon style. I think I know where you're going with this. Wagons that have wheels, but in snowy and inclement weather... You've got skids that can actually swing down and lift it up just enough so that now the skids are what's making contact with the ground. I see your wagon sleds and I raise you a sled wagon. A slagon. A slagon. <laughs> um, but yeah, the idea is you're making it possible to move large loads around. And of course, then that gets you into draft animals of yeah, some kind. What pulls these exactly. transports? And so I would expect herds of oxen scattered throughout the country or heavy horses yeah there's it's either really like horses oxen or reindeer and then further north you know where food is scarcer maybe dogs a fair number of dogs are much easier to maintain Mm -hmm. and then uh, they are able to uh, get enough of them together and you can start moving some pretty hefty stuff around so you're able to use your sleds move your sleds and when you're not moving something around you could just Use them to help keep the herds in place. Right. And I also see, I really don't know much about road maintenance, especially in northern regions, very, very cold regions. Uh, but I would expect that with dirt roads in tundra, they may not need maintenance quite as much as roads further south where more thaw and freeze happens. And so you're opening yeah. up more potholes and things. We lived in Chicago, and that's the joke is there's two seasons, road construction and winter. Yeah. So the idea is our experience in a somewhat cold climate Mm -hmm. is that, yeah, there's always road work going on. But maybe further north, like North Canada, the Northwest Territory or something, Mm -hmm. maybe it's not quite as difficult. It's hard for me to tell. Yeah. But, you know, fantasy country, we'll just say that the road's... I don't, I, we don't need to get into specifics yeah. of road maintenance yeah. unless it has a impact on the story, which I don't think it will, seeing as we, as they, not me, uh, not seeing as they've got an airship now. Oh, right. Yeah, that's kind of out of action. They had an airship, and so that wasn't as much of a problem. Once and upon a time. it might come back. I assume it will, because that's a pretty neat feature. Stay tuned, stackers. Stay Find tuned, out. stackers. Um that accounts for infrastructure. Yeah, that basically accounts. And now let's take a look at. Well, that accounts for land infrastructure. Yeah, land infrastructure. And that also accounts for the vehicles to move it on land. Of course, we could move to the ports and the docks and things. And so now we're looking at more maritime trade. As we know, historically, the northern peoples were prolific sailors. The Brits and the Scandinavians were fairly accomplished at ship construction and ocean navigation. But we all know the iconic longship, which was fairly well spread out among most of the northern peoples, which the Finns utilized just as much as their neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine these shallow but relatively broad and long 
boats that would be good for carrying people and supplies. Yeah, and um, the the shallow draft benefit is you can now go up rivers. Rivers especially and along coasts with ease. Which, again, makes absolute sense for this people mm-hmm. uh, for moving heavy loads effectively and conveniently to where they need to go. Especially seeing as they're a peninsular folk. Yeah, very good. So we've talked vehicles, we've talked infrastructure, we've talked animals. I think that's that's pretty yeah, good. That covers a good bit of it. All right, let's move on to industry. Oh boy. Small topic. Well, you know, the uh, industrial revolution hasn't hit quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it I would might- say, let's, let's say that trend is trending that way. Well, yeah, being an empire definitely does speed things up a bit. Um, it can just with just with the combination of people groups and a more centralized form of governance usually does allow a country to move forward a bit faster yeah for good or ill so what kinds of industry does trend have fishing primary okay. a, a very very strong fishing strong fishing because boats and peninsula and they're just you know, there's a whole bunch of water around them there's got to be something in there do they make their own ships almost definitely all right so what is unique about a trend and ship how would you look out at sea and say oh that's trend well like we talked about earlier long ships mm-hmm. you know so but they, we have rindus there is rindus across the way and i see them even more as oh, the archetypal yeah, sure. vikings oh right? yeah they're definitely so, they are our vikings and the Finns were also Vikings, but they weren't really, they weren't in that big three group of Norway, Sweden, and and Denmark. But they were definitely there. I kind of imagine Trandin um, longships being just kind of like like Rindish ships take more of an, like an aggressive look to them. You've got like dragons and dragon heads and wolf heads on the prows, and they're always snarling and um, maybe redder you know more aggressive colors for their sails Mm -hmm. i think also trend thinks bigger is better yeah and so larger ships may be more heavily fortified against attack i would imagine them to be a bit slower than rendus exactly so i see rendus as having little swarms of ships that Oh, yeah. are able to zip around they're not strong individually excellent for piratical activity striking retreat just getting away with whatever they yeah. can grab yeah and with sufficient numbers they could mm-hmm. absolutely take on a trend and warship yeah i can imagine these these two because they're they're basically the bunny ears on on vardalon or, or edelin yeah. specifically yeah. and so they would definitely constitute the two naval powers of the of the world especially up in the north mm-hmm. and so you have trend in Mostly transport vessels, being an empire and and big on maintenance, you have infrastructure and trade to take care of. And so you need these bigger ships for transportation and for movement of resources. And with Rindis being more of a just raider culture, just a lot a lot more, a lot faster. But in distinguishing a Trandon ship from maybe other ships or Rindisman ships, uh, I would imagine Trandon ships taking on maybe like ram's heads or... Well, or remember ox- wolf was the animal that we assigned to them. The, remember the pack mentality? Okay. Uh, so a, a very strong motif of wolves. Okay. But I think ram's heads could work on yeah, a couple absolutely. of them anyway. Or you know, maybe oxen as well. And then uh, you've got the maybe a, a more boxy design on their ships. Yeah. The prowl 
I would see as being maybe reinforced with metal. Yeah. And that would help with the ram's head. But then otherwise, it's a pretty square arc. They're load-bearing style. vehicles. Exactly. So. Exactly. And like the Roman ships, the, like the triremes, biremes, and quinqueremes, and all, you know, the, the larger ships, they would often have actual castles. So when we talk about a ship having a forecastle, they, there was an actual building on the front of the ship designed to look like a castle with battlements and everything. Mm-hmm. You can have archers up there to shoot down at an enemy ship. Uh, you know, I see that very much being a, a Trandon thing. We need to go back to that kind of naval style. <laughs> Our ships just look kind of lame nowadays. Yeah, you need to uh, write to the Navy and just tell them <laughs> more castles. how they need to do it. Yeah, more castles. More castles. <laughs> All right, let's talk public policy. Ooh. Oh, boy. I think what we'll do, because I, I don't have a lot of insight into public policy in the actual world, so let's associate this with uh, trade relations. Mm-hmm. Let's go from there. Well, I would kind of imagine that in terms of trade relations, trans stands fairly well with her neighbors. Uh, in the past, especially during the Dark Age, um, they were more of a bane in the north mm-hmm. as uh, you know these um, scattered tribes eventually conglomerationated and expand and were, were on the expanse. Right, um, to become an empire. To become an empire. But now that they've they've kind of grown to their borders and Dunmoriga and Vondheim especially being their, their two immediate adjacent states, um, them being well-established kingdoms of their own notable strength, it's not worth getting into fights with them not at this stage in the world anyway. Yeah. Um, and so, and in the past, we've talked about something of a physical barrier erected between Trand and Dunmoriga. Hadrian's in particular. Wall. Yeah, basically. Basically. And, uh, and so there's kind of a watchful space between the two. You can imagine that like more as the Dark Ages were winding down. But at this point, kingdoms have kind of settled into where they are for right now anyway, until the next yeah. epoch causes yeah. great change. Um, and so for right now, Trand is on, I, I can imagine it being on pretty good terms with most of the nations around. Maybe yeah. there's a little bit of head to head with Rindis simply because they're a, a similar power in the same field as them. Right. Um, but otherwise they're, they're pretty okay with trading because they're able to go across the border with their neighbors and then all, basically along the Western coast of Edelin to, uh, I think just Moriga and um, the other places. I just imagine them basically going all the way down the coast, mm-hmm. especially in this larger state of their empire. They have influence over a good bit. Yeah, I see it like the Viking traders mm-hmm. uh, where they're they're down in the Mediterranean. Yeah, be bopping around with the Byzantine emperor. Yep, so absolutely. Trade policy, I see being very open as far as export. They may be more careful with stuff that could be used against them, mm-hmm. as you would expect. So they don't really export a lot of weapons and, and fabricated things, but they will sell perhaps raw materials. Oh, yeah, for sure. Trend and weapons stay in trend. Mm-hmm. But trend and goods, that's for everyone. Yeah. Are there any other special types of goods that trend is especially noted for? I very much enjoy uh, considering just what kind of things a country puts out because um, that really tells you what all that country is about mm-hmm. and, and what their focus is. My first thought is vineyards. Yeah, uh, I can see that in the southern yeah. part. Yep, yeah. so at least in part. Um, 
we already established that fish is a pretty big thing. So horses, horses, yeah, especially from the north. Um, yeah, the hardy horses from the north. Uh, they may not be the fastest, but they'll carry your stuff. Yeah, all day, all day. But also from more of the plain lands, the barbarian nomadic lands to the south. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those wild horses that just have spirits that make them perfect for battle. Yeah. And just in general, for when you're when you're establishing your nations and trying to figure out what kind of resources they might have, I find that a good l- way to come up with a list of resources just to pick from is to look at the total war games. And, and what are those? What are the list of resources and what or what total war games? What are total war games? Oh, for those of you who don't know what the total war games are, they're basically turn-based strategy games where you play as a nation. You try and you build up your kingdom and expand your borders and it, it focuses more on the, the the military aspect of fighting battles because they've got great real-time battles but there's also a good bit of diplomacy and and that kind of stuff as you you try and forge alliances and the like but they've got a, a bit of an economic system that i think is pretty cool but they've got games from all sorts of different periods of time and all sorts of parts of the world so if you want to try and th- uh, come up with a list of resources from a certain part of the world for whatever theme country you're making total war probably has a game for that period and area and you can just look up like a list on their wikis or whatever of yeah. just resources to choose from which i yeah. use often nice. yeah and again don't be afraid to look through other wikipedia articles for primary exports for countries mm-hmm. and that'll give you an idea uh, i mean there's everything from fabrics to uh, you know once upon a time there was a a tulip craze in the netherlands where people were selling tulips for obscene amounts of money just like the beanie babies yeah Uh, and so i mean really if you can think of it a country in your fantasy world could absolutely export it Mm -hmm. and you've got raw resources refined resources luxury items food all these all these things that you could pick from to fill your your nation's economy yeah and so you can get as detailed or as fun as you want with these concepts, and that's that's a great way to add some depth to your world. We're just spitting out ideas. You pick what works for you. Absolutely. And have fun with it. Mm-hmm. And the final category we want to discuss is tourism. And this, I, I almost see it as an import. You're, you're pulling people in. Yeah. And so as trans reputation has improved over time, and the southern area of the country has been made more appealing for visitors oh yeah for sure especially as imperial might is starting to really stabilize and show itself in more noticeable things in ways of architecture and 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 that kind of stuff the emperor sees it as a good way not only of promoting or of bringing in extra money but also of showing hey we're good yeah and now we're good we're no <laughs> we're no longer seeking to take your lands that's right for now what is it that would draw people to Trand for travel, vacation, whatever? So that's a very good question. It's very difficult to imagine tourism being a major source of income, especially during a more medieval-themed world and in the medieval period. The only real f- form of tourism that I can readily imagine is pilgrimages. Okay, um, so maybe some for, holy locations? Yeah, I, I could definitely imagine um, a some city within trend that could serve as some sort of religious center where maybe there is a high order of priests that Let's uh, do reside it. there. Who is it? Uh, that's a good question. Um, we do have a pantheon defined for Vardalon 
uh, we would have to go back and revisit the wiki mm-hmm. on fandom.com to refresh our memories of who all makes that up. But we do have a fairly comprehensive range of deities in the world. That cover just about all aspects of life and death. Yep. Okay. I could, I could also imagine um, this is just a whole bunch of extra world building to do, but just like regional flavors of these mm-hmm. deities. Um, you know, there's, That's true. Kind of like the, um, the Mars uh, versus Ares, Roman Mars, Greek. Yeah. 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 Um, versus Tyr. Another tourism draw that I thought of, in addition to just quaint countryside villages and mm-hmm. getting away from the hustle and bustle of the South and the, also the teeming a, masses. Yeah. I also like the idea of, let me just say this, in 1893, Chicago hosted the World's Fair and the World's Fair was just this neat way of showing off the latest technologies, creations, that kind of thing. But one of the interesting things, and I got this from the book, The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. This is a foreign concept to us now, but some of the displays included bringing in indigenous peoples from either different parts of the country or even, I think, from the Philippines. I think they mm-hmm. actually transported a village into the white city of the World Fair where visitors to the fair would come through and basically gawk at these poor people who are having to live their lives out in the open. Yeah. What about the idea of ethnotourism where you have people coming to observe or maybe be a part of, or be in proximity to these barbarian nomadic tribes that wander the Southern plains of the country. You've got the people who, uh, you got people who go and, um, tour out over in, uh, Eastern parts of Russia to see, you know, the Cossacks live in their lives and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I could, I could see stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. So in our world, uh, those, especially those Northern and Finno-Ugric people that make up the, uh, the, you know, the Finns are part of that group. The Hungarians mm-hmm. are part of that group, but shamanism was a, a major factor in that way of life. Yep. What if it's more like consulting so people are drawn to this area for to consult with mystics and and wise people that apparently have contact with a spirit world or something in like that. In the style of the Oracle of Delphi. Yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, maybe let's have an oracle in Trand. There's mm-hmm. this gap in a mountain that a temple has been built on and there's this very ancient wise mystic that lives there and you you're only granted access a certain time of year or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. You've got um Shamanic rituals um, often transport the shaman into the spirit realm for mm-hmm. guidance, knowledge, healing, all that stuff. And the Kalevala, the Finnish epic, um, Vainamoinen wishing to find the words how to, to sing a boat into existence, goes to the underworld and basically gets them out of the giant Vipanen. Uh, somehow but anyway it's basically he's going on this whole spirit journey into the underworld to get these words and so in in a like manner um, people could come to the shaman who goes into some sort of trance or something where it could be theatrical it could be legit but somehow he's able to pull out these you know wise sayings and advice that helps people somehow and i'll tell you it's it's interesting reading the accounts of the Oracle of Delphi mm. because the answers were always cryptic. Oh, yeah. Of and course. you can have a lot of fun as a dungeon master with these either bizarre or very, very vaguely worded answers that are supposed to, very often they were taken at face value. But then when the event actually happened, 
you could see the twist in it and mm-hmm. you're like, Ooh, that's Search not what feelings. I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So where are my feelings? <laughs> you could have a lot of, uh, fun with that as a dungeon master mm-hmm. running a world of your own creation. All right, we have bashed through five things. And again, there's always more we could have talked about in this episode. If we've missed something glaring, stackers, feel free to share that with us. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at stackodice, or you can email us at stack.o.dice at gmail.com. One thing that comes immediately to mind, Thane, mm-hmm. is monetary system. We didn't talk about that at all. And of course, you know, you could get into nuts and sickles and all, (laughs) or whatever you want to do. I mean, Uh, we kind of brought that up a little bit talking about how money was more a usable item in the South than it was in the North. Sure. But But, getting into the the actual of it. Oh yeah, for sure. And coming up with your own system of. I mean, we didn't even talk about exchange rates and stuff like that. Inflation. Market fluctuation. Oh my goodness. You guys missed out on so much (laughs) that we know so much about clearly. (laughs) So yeah, absolutely, stackers. Again, if you have expertise in any area that we talk about in any of our episodes and we didn't cover it well or we didn't cover it at all, please do contact me. I sure would love to hear from you in the ways that I mentioned already. And I'd be happy to set up a Zoom call that I can record and we can turn it into an episode. And I'd love to feature other voices of our stackers. Oh yeah, we get tired of hearing ourselves. And so let's see what happens. What's cooking in your brain, stackers? As always, thank you very much, Thane, for joining us. Thanks for having me. And thank you, stackers, for listening in. Hope again that you have gotten some good out of this, and maybe this has spurred some thoughts in your mind. And we'll see you here again next time at Stack of Dice. There is an imperial tax levied against the output from mills yeah which makes absolute sense which would be collecting food you know grain or um a portion of the timber sawn at sod scene suitled at you know at the sawmills (laughs) um